welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. Today I'm going to be speaking with Gonzalo Cordova about his work as a coach. In particular, we'll focus on emotional literacy in coaching. Gonzalo is an international facilitator and an experienced executive coach with more than 15 years of immersion in human development. He is one of the founders of the Newfield Network Mexico. Today, we're going to be talking about Gonzalo's work. He is based in Silicon Valley and coaches a lot of the executive people found in those companies. So we'll talk about emotional literacy in coaching, why it's so important to bring in. We'll talk about how emotions connect with linguistics and how they connect with the body. And Gonzalo will do a brilliant breakdown of the complexity of jealousy, the emotion jealousy, which I just found really brilliant to think of it in that way. And we'll talk a bit about why Gonzalo doesn't call himself a coach anymore. All right, let's dive in. Here is the podcast with Gonzalo Cordova. So Gonzalo, yeah, it's great to be with you again. Uh, we've just been reminiscing about our last conversation a little bit, which I think was, yeah, like four years ago or something. And I was, uh, you know, my wife was expecting back then and you gave me some great parental advice which was forgive yourself you know <laughs> which actually has been uh you know one of the best bits of advice i've had yes wait being. until she is a teenager that's exactly when that kicks in fully <laughs> yeah well i have a teenager in the house as well so i i um uh, that i totally know what you mean it's um yes. it's humbling um yeah so how are you doing first of all i'm doing well very um Exciting about the times in general after a pandemic and everything that I think, at least for me and my family, we were able to appreciate what we have and what we don't have as well. That was, that was interesting. And how that shifted the perception of how coaches coach, at least for me, I've been a digital nomad for a while pre-pandemic but i think with that situation things increased in the digital world and i started coaching other companies and industries that i wasn't before and i think that was a big shift in how do we coach in this during those times and and then now realizing that we were catalysts for a, I would say, an emotional avalanche that the world was experiencing, knowing all the things that uh, the pandemic brought, uh, not only the physical pain and, and concerns of people, but emotionally and emo economically and so many things. So it's been a ride for sure. And thankfully, my clients were very eager to continue their work during those times. So on knowing that you have a client that is willing to explore, even in the face of despair and challenges, it's a huge, huge gift. So that's where I am, you know, appreciating that and, and applying everything that I believe I learned uh, during those times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautifully said. And I'm just curious, how, how do you feel that coaches might, you know, you you personally have evolved as a coach, you know, the, the ways that our clients might be needing us to be as a coach in these times since the pandemic and the other things, you know, I, I, that's a question in general we're exploring, like the evolving role of a coach. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what are you, how are you thinking about all that? Yes, Joel. I personally started this journey 18 years ago, the journey of coaching. And in retrospect, I see the metaphor of when we learn our ABCs. And I, looking back, I know that I know my ABCs very well now, but that wasn't enough into part of my main passion is to work with leaders to evolve and to have a better sense of connection with themselves first 
thus their ability to give that to the organization. And if that translates into KPIs, fantastic, I'm in. But if that translates into being more human and loving and caring, even better, right? Even better. And so I think that's the threshold that I had to overcome, learning how during those all those years, make that connection for those leaders. As you know, I am a coach that I am at the core of the Silicon Valley here, a few blocks away, there's Facebook and Google and Apple. And being surrounded by this, I would say, swimming pool, I can tell that that was not the norm or the coaching they were receiving. And so short answer is by pushing the envelope of the emotional domain, like really making, making very clear that if you are to work with me, we're going to include not only the linguistic aspect, which we know is critical, but there also are other two, right? The emotional domain and the physical, the body domain. And I think that's the biggest learning that I've included in my, my practice. I do see shifts occurring way more often than before. Like I said, 18 years ago, where perhaps the focus was more in the questioning and the reflecting, and now it's more hands-on, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, I find that really encouraging. And and just to make sure I like I get sense. So you're saying like people are like people are becoming more real, or um, you know, like it wasn't. I'm, this is my the way I'm reading into what you're saying. Yes. It's like maybe less about performance, you know, and it's going deeper into the self and um, the, our emotional world, and that there's a broader impact, you know, than just just our performance. Is that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly it. You said it better than me. <laughs> nice. Because yeah, yeah, I, I that fits for me too. I think, you know, maybe collectively, there's um, this pandemic has, uh, and, and the other crises we face has invited us into questioning, you know, it's a break out of the, the kind of um, habituation of life, isn't it? And, and suddenly people absolutely. are asking bigger questions. And um Maybe, you know, I know we're going to speak about emotions today. And, mm-hmm. um, but you, you also mentioned something about context, you know, something that you often do with your clients or always do is, is this context setting. So, yes. um, I was just wondering if I, I, I'm super curious about that. Could you share yes. more about what you mean by that? Absolutely. So, the topic that I'd like to explore today is what I labeled emotional literacy at the core of coaching. And the reason why I wanted to explore that is because of what we just discussed that, wow, when we include that piece of the puzzle, all of a sudden the picture is complete. And so, to set the, the right context for coaches, or even if someone else is not a coach, but is curious about this topic, what I typically say is the following. Well, we all are experiencing, without even knowing, an implicit agreement that happened 500 years ago, right? It's an agreement that all of us born were born into, but none of us question. And it's the agreement that only certain aspects of our life are going to be taught, which is the more objective things we name, we label, we discuss, but the more subjective subjective things are like hidden under the rug. And that's, like I said, an implicit agreement from 500 years ago. I don't want to dive into that now. It's a, it's a wonderful rabbit hole. But if you guys want to know more, please reach out. But in terms, in simple terms, is that, you know, when scientists start, well, previous to scientists starting to test, right, and started to reach the borders of, is this so, and questioning the masters, that's when the church at the time said, do not touch the interior of the human being, that's more about us, religion, and you guys go and test, and we do our internal stuff separately. And so, again, we were born into that. 
one of the biggest names that generated that agreement is René Descartes, right? Mm -hmm. That later, near his death, he said, I'm so sorry, I was wrong. This is really interesting. As he, said, he was saying, you know, we are basically like machines. We don't have feelings. There's no need for that. If you see a dog whipping, kick it, right? That's basically what he said. Now, there's an, an amazing book that I want to recommend to your audience and to you. If you read it, fantastic. If not, it's a must. Um, his, the book, the title is The Cart Error by Antonio Damasio. Antonio Damasio, it's a Portuguese-American neuroscientist that has dedicated his entire life to make the connection of emotions and science. So he has developed many studies, and that's the context that I wanted to show you and your audience. So now we have proof that when we experience certain emotions, our brains, our cells, our lungs, our hearts move, beat, create different processes with certain emotions. Prior to this man, we were, you know, speculating, yes, feeling good is wonderful, but good is not an emotion, and wonderful is an emotion, right? Feeling love is an emotion versus I'm okay is not an emotion. And so when we experience, for instance, gratitude, I'll, I'll go into this experiment real quick because I think it's so worth it to understand that they took a sample of thousands of people and they put, you know, this helmet with nodes that I'm sure you all remember like a electrocardiogram, like an MRI type of things combined with uh, your heartbeat measurements. And they discovered that when they played certain part of a movie or when they read certain text of a book, all the people participated in the, that participated in this study, their hearts were beating at the exact same beat, at the exact, exact same rate. So what does that tell us? Well, that if there's one thing that is common to humans is the ability to recognize, to embody, to say things about emotions. That literally makes us feel in a certain way, not only mechanically, but also our organs change. And then there are several uh, chemicals that get released when we experience, for instance, gratitude, like dopamine, oxytocin, and other, uh, what's the other one? Uh, when we exercise, um, I forgot that one, but there are several chemicals <laughs> that are released when we experience gratitude. Same thing goes for many other emotions. And so we can't continue denying, right? We have now proof, if we weren't sure, that emotions are 100% real. It's not an invention in our minds or touchy-feely. No, emotions are transform our brain cells every time we embody. So that's the context I wanted to share because a lot of people, and when I walk into organizations or institutions, they go like, oh, no, emotions are something so weird. It's touchy-feely. We don't, we don't have room for that here. And after I set this context, they're like, is that so? Well, that's so interesting. Let's explore what happens. And so generally, it softens our ear into at least give them a chance to be part of our uh, life. If not the organization, at least us as individuals can make room. And then little by little, they, they will take it to the organization. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm so pleased to hear that. And I'm just curious, like, how do you, because I think many coaches listening will, um, you know, a common, let me say this, like a common question we get on our training programs is, you know, yeah, but this somatic coaching is great or, you know, working with emotions is great, but how do you bring it into, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, for example, people in the tech industry, there's certain, you know, industries that seem to commonly get named, you know, yes. scientists or whatever. Um, so, that I, I think is I'm curious about that. Like how you, you of course you're naming now. Like I 
I have to set the context for the importance of including emotional our emotionality in any coaching. And I'm just curious for you then, how does it become a key part of the coaching conversation, you know, in a way that might lead to uh, somebody developing a better relationship to themselves? Yes, that's a great question. First, just reiterate what you said. I think the step number one is setting the right context. In the right context, we can create and do anything we want with our clients. In the wrong context, they're going to feel resistant, resistant or resistance towards whatever we're presenting, whether it has emotions or not. So I think it's a value conversation proposition that we have with our clients into, well, my type of coaching comes with this. And let me show you the value. That will be the step number two. Show value in my experience makes clients or the person that signs a check to say, yes, of course, go ahead. Right. And I think one of the things that I say, if I may, is the first part of the answer is how emotions shape our world, which is part of the talk that we're having. And that's literally what I do. And what I do is I give them an example. Hopefully this will make sense. Imagine that you're building a house, right? The house of your dreams. And once it's done, and it's the house of your dreams, you invite people over, but you say you can go anywhere besides the kitchen. That will be very strange. Everyone goes everywhere. The swimming pool, the golf, if you like golf or whatever you have in your idyllic house, but you're never going to the kitchen. Why? Because no, that's forbidden. Well, why? It's part of your house and you're not yet accessing that. It seems extremely stupid, if I may say so. And so house equals emotions. You're not going to include a critical component of your leader in my coaching. It sounds like you're going to miss 90% of the opportunity to shift I can stay in the linguistic domain. Yes, I'm an expert at that. I can just talk. But if I go deeper and you open the doors to the kitchen, we can see how this person is cooking life every single day, how it's processing their thinking and how they interpret from a deeper part. Not only that, that is going to show us their level of consciousness. If they're 100% fearful, which is a very primal emotion, that's going to show us that's a context in which they are approaching perhaps meetings, clients, signing checks, or letting people go. Is that going to help us know and predict? Absolutely. We know that if the company is going to face downsizing, and if that person is always in fear, guess who's going to run first or hide? That person. And so having that component to me is very basic. The other aspect is I try to convey a message of we are all honestly starting to learn about emotions. We are not experts. We are very new in this, in the face of the earth. When we talk about years, we're actually beginning to understand emotions. So more or less 300, 400 years ago, we were still hunter-gatherers. Gatherers, you know, it's not a long, it's not a long time if you look at the origins of life. Holy shit! I mean, we've been we're in diapers still trying to learn how to be human. And so, for me, that tells me that when we dare as coaches to Get rid of the barrier of this is going to sound weird. We can actually do it. In other words, the obstacle, this is what I found that is fascinating. The obstacle in organizations to explore emotions is not the organization, it's the coach. The coach mm -hmm. thinking that what I'm bringing is too weird, is wishy-washy, is too kumbaya, right? Mm -hmm. No, I think... It, the work is first with, starts with the coach, start, starts with me. Once I have the confidence and the knowledge, which is important, and the distinctions, which is way critical, 
of that aspect, then I can sit down with my client and say, here's the value. This is the curriculum. And this is what you will gain by working with me in this domain. And now they're like, okay, so this is not wishy-washy. There's science behind it. There's going to be some movement, yes. But at the end, this is what you will gain. This is what you, this will be the result. So mm-hmm. I think that's, that's how I can answer that. Now, the, the last comment I want to make about that point mm-hmm. is that many years ago, Joel, I think you remember this. I've shared this before in one of our conversations. I had the opportunity to spend a few months with the indigenous people of Mexico, of the northern, northern part of Mexico, called the Huicholes. And spending time with them, understanding that cosmology was eye-opening, yes, as a coach, but first and foremost as a person. Because just like other tribes or indigenous people of the world, they don't see themselves separate from the world. They don't see themselves as, this is me and this is you. This is me, and this is the waterfall. This is me, and that's the tree. This is us, our company, and that's you, your company. No, they see everything as a whole. Granted, they've been longer than us, immersed in a jungle, literally. This is not a metaphor. Living off the world, the land, and listening for things that we can see. And so that's when it dawned the following idea, the interpretation of our world, of an event, has nothing to do with the event, but it relates 100% of who I am as an observer, as a person. What emotion I carry with me like a pack backpack is going to help me understand that world. And typically, my mood also determines that. You can be at a tropical beach, Phenomenal, surrounded by, you know, piña coladas and, you know, Hawaiian dancers. But if you're annoyed and tired, you're not going to appreciate that. You're not going to be like, oh, this is great, people. Yeah, wonderful. No, you're going to be annoyed. I want to go to my room. I have a headache, whatever. But if you're in a mood of happiness, gratitude, or simply just at ease, peaceful, then all of a sudden things appear in front of your eyes. And that is Phenomenal. As people, fantastic. Now, in the organization, that's really helpful. Really helpful. They People start value their role, their responsibility, right? The worlds that they can create when they have that knowledge. Just to make sure I get that last point, um, um, could you say like, because I, 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 like, I get that, um, yeah, the way we feel our mood is going to impact the experience we have of the world um and how how do you you translate that to the organization is it that you know are you saying that once people start to gain a certain emotional understanding uh, then you know they can actually begin to transform their emotions um and that will kind of create a different collective mood in an organization which would be more conducive to you know that organization fulfilling its purpose Sure. I guess what I'm trying to say is when we, when we become aware, or I should say, once they, once they become aware of their emotions, their moods, and how that is a predisposition to act, then they can be or decide or make from a different place. And I really like that. And it's not that difficult, honestly, knowing your emotional base. It's a matter of daring, I should say, daring to see ourselves, which is easy and at the same time is difficult. Someone needs to show you, help you a little bit. Hey, I see this. I see you fearful or angry most of the time. And that's when we need to cross the threshold of it's going to be too weird to tell him, Joel, I see you annoyed at my conversation or dramatically excited. What's going on, right? Having that conversation is the most difficult part. 
But the easiest part is to recognize, yes, I was annoyed, or yes, I was super excited. Yes, I, I need to recognize that. Now, what do I do with that? It's like a piece of dough, right? Like a big piece of dough. You can either make pretzels or baguette, or it's up to you. So what I teach typically to leaders is first recognize that you are perhaps parked on an emotion. And once you detect that emotion, you can choose to stay or shift. Why would I want to shift an emotion? Well, because certain emotions, as you know, open certain possibilities that other emotions won't. So a little bit of anger, just a little, just a tad of anger with enthusiasm and just a tad of fear is going to help you to convey a message in a very different way that pure fear. It's going to be a very different message. So learning to mix like in the kitchen, right? The right ingredients to convey a message, it's critical. Just um, there's so many things you're saying here that I want to respond to. Like one is um, I want to come back to in, mo in a moment and ask you, you know, uh, how do you help clients to mix these emotions and shift? But just mm -hmm. kind of stepping back a little bit, yeah. you know, you mentioned these um, indigenous people in uh, the Huicholes, I think you said, yes. uh, in Mexico. And, you know, I it just kind of, yeah, that, that worldview of like, we're not separate. I think, you know, part, that is part of a shift that in the West mm -hmm. we're going through, you know, the, yes. the recognition that this Cartesian, you know, worldview that you named has led to a, uh, a sense of separation. And yes. um, so I'm just thinking like, you know, I can imagine they, their levels of well-being are much higher, I'm guessing much higher than people in the West because of the worldview they might have, you know, that we're not separate. And if you live inside that worldview, you might feel certain levels of connection and well-being and, and meaning, you know, and um, collaboration that is different than if you're in an organization and you believe like in, you know, um, a kind of like win lose game and that I'm a separate, I'm only a separate thing. And I've got to like, my game is to like be the best I can and, and win, you know, win this game of life. And, you know, then when others are getting in the way of that, that's threatening. So I'm just thinking about how our worldviews themselves can evoke a certain kind of mood and so, yes. um, you know, I'm imagining that might start to change as we, if if we collectively shift our sense of identity and worldview. And so, and then I'm just coming back to, and you can riff on that if you want. And mm -hmm. I just want to come back to them, like, um, yeah, you know, like how do you um, do that work with leaders? You know, like I'm hearing part of the work is becoming aware. And by the way, I've had some of the most powerful coaching conversations with people when you know in the room itself mm. i'm like you know you seem yes you know you seem kind of angry right now or mm. um you know uh, whatever emotion might be coming up and suddenly that they're, they're not even aware of it you know and it might be yes. edgy you know yes it's an you know they might even be kind of um well there's a word i'm looking for which i can't think of but defensive you know, almost, or yeah yeah defensive to the actual conversation yeah. we're having resistant to the coaching yes and 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 like instead of trying to like make the coaching work to just name that you know has had has been incredibly powerful so so how do you you know so there's an awareness piece but how do you then have people begin to you know be mature around their emotions and, and learn to know when to stay or to shift and, and mix emotions. So just respond on any of that. Yes. There are two things I like to share. That's those are great questions. Thank you. This is a, an awesome conversation. I've enjoyed it so much. I wish we, we could have coffee. I have mine. I don't know if you have yours or tea. I got some tea in a flask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking. Yes. Here. So first I like to dress the question about how do we work with our clients in general, no matter who they are, um, we can only give what we have, correct? We can only share what we've already worked within us. I think 
that's congruency, right? That's being congruent. I cannot give you or help you or support you if I've not myself been through that experience. And so I think if you're a coach that is not familiar with emotions or with that work, well, don't walk into that room pretending to teach them because it's going to be a mess. I don't recommend that. I've had the fortune to work with a lot of actors, right? People that are into either movies or theater. And you would think they are so in tune with their emotions, but surprisingly enough, they're very resistant to just like the example you made, like to recognize, yes, I'm, you know, taken aback from your comment. I'm getting, you know, bothered and annoyed at you as a coach pointing the finger. It's like, wow, interesting. So like I said before, we are learning. So my mojo is meet them where they are. Meet them where they are, not where the coach is, but with where they are. So I have to take temperature with my clients. And if I'm coaching a, I'm going to give a bad example, but I'll say it anyways. A, an executive from a cryptocurrency firm, right? They're going through big turmoil right now. Well, most likely that person is going to be young, younger than me, 100% sure. Uh, into the tech aspect, very mechanical, more, you know, rational than me. I can't just say, let's explore your emotions. I can tell you are fearful because that's going to screw them out. They're going to run away. So that's when the linguistic approach works fantastic because we all speak, but not all recognize their emotions. And so words convey things sometimes that helps us feel a little bit more, I would say, less vulnerable, right? So that's when I say this is where the linguistic connection to emotions is really helpful. And I say something along the lines of, did you know that there are more than 200 emotions? Are you kidding? Is that for real? Yes. And I actually, I send them a PDF with the 200 emotions and they excuse my language, craft their pants. They're like, I would have <laughs> never imagined this. This is insane. Yes, insanity is another emotion, by the way. You know, so I start to show them a world that is absolutely weird, abstract, and subjective, but I meet them where they are. Now, the I like to share a story with you to address this and your other comment about the Wicholis. I love this story and I hope I can convey this because this story is in my heart in Spanish. So I'm going to do my best to be a truthful, truthful translator of the experience. So one of the amazing exercises in motion using our body that we do with when we do courses and programs and stuff like that is to walk in single file for a long time. Okay. Single file, looking at the earth, observing in silence so that people can recognize their emotions. I learned this from them, from the Wicholis. They do this. That's part of many of the, they, they have three big pilgrimages. They do. They go across many, many miles. I'm saying hundreds of miles walking like this in single file. And so I did one of those. And as I was walking, I was second to last on that single file. And my friend, a 100% pure Wichol, was behind me at the end of that single file. And I don't know if I shared this story with you already, but as I was walking, I had a sense of, I miss my family. A deep sense of, I'm wondering, how's my daughter? How's my wife? And, and I had this nostalgia. You know, I was like tearing in my own world, thinking about them. Very, as someone would say, very emotional. Listen to this. So I dared to say to this man, you know what? I'm missing my family. And he started laughing. Like I, 
I shared, you know, the most amazing joke. I'm terrible at telling jokes. So clearly that was not a joke, but he was laughing like, how, why? That Those were his questions. Are you missing them? What do you mean missing them? I'm like, yes, because I'm here and they are home. And it's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. But all of you are in the same place. No, 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 I'm not there. And, and we stopped. He stopped the line. He's like, guys, this guy thinks he's not with them because they are <laughs> at home and he's here. They were all laughing, cracking. Like, <laughs> he thinks he's separated. He thinks they're not together. And so for me, it was a huge aha moment. Like, wow, how emotions <laughs> convey our world. In fact, in the Wichol language, the word to miss is non-existent. It doesn't wow. exist because as long as you are in this plane, you are always together. We don't need to see each other to say we are together because we are. We're all part of this project. I don't know what which word they would use. This yeah. is my word, not theirs. But it was laughable once I understood that. It was like, dude, that's so true. I mean, it's great to have the sense that I would love to be with them. That's a different story. But the big question, and this is how I connect this to organization, is this emotion going to help me in this moment to take advantage of this experience? Is it conducive, right, of me experiencing this walk, this pilgrimage today? Yes or no, Gonzalo? No. Then I can move away from missing them. I mean, it's great to recognize love for the people that we love, but if that's going to be paralyzing for my knowledge, right, for me learning, then choose a different emotion. And I chose gratitude. Well, I'm so grateful that I have a family that is waiting for me back home. That's so fantastic. Wow, what a different way of continuing that pil pilgrimage. As you can hear, this is easily translated into being an executive behind the desk making decisions. Like, how are you interpreting that world is going to define the conversations that you're going to have. That's why I'm saying the linguistic connection is 100% important. The way I feel that's going to trigger certain words in one emotion or in another emotion. And I think that's a very safe place to, to work with people, right? To start there. Okay, what I hear is this. Let me make sure I'm hearing this correctly. Is that right? And they go like, yes, as a matter of fact, yes, I am, you know, very excited. Oh, wonderful. Very sad. Okay, let's just recognize that. What do we do with it, right? And then the last thing, um, I often, when I feel or have a sense that my clients are super confused about emotions and I don't have a sense of how much knowledge or exposure they've had with that domain, I talk about jealousy. Jealousy is a fantastic, it's like the poster boy for emotions. <laughs> Because it's so strange. It's an emotion that, by the way, I don't experience that. So I am the worst at it because I'm totally biased to it. I just, I'm not a jealous person because I have a sense that it's a waste of energy and time. That's how I see jealousy. But in order for us to be jealous, you need to use five emotions. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't Insane. know that at all. Yeah. It's really crazy. For you to feel jealous, you have to be first angry. There's uh -huh. a little bit of anger because the other person did something yeah. that is against your values. It's not just. It's unjust. There's an injustice happening. Two, there's a little bit of sadness because you may lose that relationship, person, thing, whatever. Are you following me? Yeah. yeah. Third one, there's fear. Because I am not sure if this is at risk or not. It may, it may not, uh, but I'm a little angry, but I'm sad. See, three emotions yeah. already taking, taking us, grabbing us by the gut, and then 
here comes the second one, or it would be a yeah, fourth, fourth. Yeah. fourth one. There's a little bit of ero eroticism. There's yeah, a little yeah. a component, very, it's like sexually confused sometimes, but it is there. It's like, yeah. how come you dare to go out with that guy, given that I am this guy or girl, right? Yeah. So there's yeah. that thin layer in the cake. And the last one is there's a little bit of tenderness. You feel tender. You feel like, oh my gosh, this is hurting me. And I feel I don't feel safe with this situation. I may lose, I don't know, whatever it is that you're thinking you may lose. So look at how one emotion is made of so many components. Now, the body of that emotion is absolutely unmistakable, right? Someone jealous doesn't look like this with your eyes, you know, big and smiling. If you're jealous, you, your face is between fear, anger, and, and sadness. It's a, it's a face that we don't know if someone died or someone is about to die or they're going to about to punch you. It's a phase that is for the person witnessing. It's, it's really interesting to see. So every single emotion, and this is fantastic, has their own breathing pattern, their own gestures, and their own body disposition. So I just talked about jealousy. And just like that, we have 200. Boy, we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. That's the best breakdown of jealousy I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm like, that is fantastic. Because, you know, they're all in there and they're eroticism too, you know, like I think there's a whole industry built on that too, you know. What I want to ask you then is like, how do you have people, because there, there's there's a whole gestalt here. There's like people's linguistics, their interpretation, their emotional sense, how that's showing up in the body, and you're saying like, you know, I love this example of like on the walk, you said, oh, you know, is this is this emotion conducive to me getting the best experience out of this mm -hmm. walk? And you were like, no, you know, uh, yeah, I don't I still lo I love my family. It's good to feel that. But so because what I'm interested in is how uh, someone might work with this. Yeah, there's that there's an awareness part which feels crucial. Yeah, like if I'm not aware, I'm feeling something. Mm -hmm. That's just can't go anywhere. So there's there's the growing awareness, which in of itself might invite some kind of transformation. But where do you go then? Because um, you know what what I wouldn't you know what people could start doing is then bypassing emotions. It's like, mm -hmm. well, I'm feeling sad right now, and the uh, and uh, I don't want to feel sad. I'm in the, I'm at work, and I'm just going to stuff this down, and you know. Uh, have another cup of coffee so that I can get on with my work. You know, I, and I don't hear that's what you're suggesting. So how, how do people kind of like not bypass emotions, but become skillful in learning how to, you know, shift states when necessary? Because I'm totally with you on that. You know, we, we need yes. to learn to regulate ourselves to, to catch our emotional mood and how we're interpreting the world in a way that we can then say, is this serving me and the outcomes I want? You know, so yes. yeah. How do you work with it all? That's a phenomenal reflection. Um, I have an acronym for that. You know, it's LCL, right? Mm -hmm. That's to me, that's the key. Something that I work with my clients is listen, capture, learn. Very simple. Very simple. Say, I love it, the example that you're giving about sadness. Sadness is an emotion that people tend to avoid with a shot of tequila, right? Are you feeling sad? Let's go out for drinks. Let's move on. What I'm saying and what we are saying in this conversation is, wait a second. The shot of tequila is not going anywhere. You will have it. But first, listen. Is this truly sadness? I'll give you tools to distinguish sadness for, from melancholy or nostalgia. That's distinctions. Those are distinctions. You need training to do that. I can't do that in an hour with a coachee. It's going to take several sessions. But if you're really willing to bite the bullet, you need to do the work. So let's stay with sadness. Okay. So listen, is it truly sadness? Yes. Fantastic. Now, capture what? 
What's the message of sadness? Your message may be very different from mine because we are unique in the sense that many things are going to make me sad that they're not going to touch you at all and vice versa. So that's when we as coaches need to be very empathetic and say, you know, yes, it's okay. If he lost his keys, that makes him sad. Fantastic. I need to respect that. Even if that seems shallow, I have to be there for my coachee, for my client and say, okay, well, it turns out that key holder was given by the grandpa 30 years ago. That's why it's causing me this big sadness. Oh, wow. Interesting. So you value that. So we, st we still, we are still installed in the scene, right? Capture. You need to be able to hear the message of sadness. You, you want to do this with any emotion, but in this case, typically sadness says something and that something is the L, which is the next part, the third part, which is the learning. Typically, when you stay for a little while in any motion is going to send you a message. And the message is this, in the, in the case of sadness, this matters to me. I care for this. It, it hurts. It pains me to lose this because what? I had a deep connection with my grandpa. Learning that, acknowledging that is precious. We don't need to jump and do crazy things and move in esoteric ways to learn that. That's a linguistic conversation. That's why I was saying, start there. Don't push them to the edge of the swimming pool if they can't swim yet. But doing this is fantastic. You just have to listen for the emotion, capture the message, and then learn from the message. We as coaches are going to have to coach them into, I would say, digesting or dissecting this because it's not easy. You need to know what, linguistically speaking, the emotion is trying to convey. I'll give you two more examples just so people understand. Sadness is this that I'm witnessing represents a loss, right? That's the message of sadness. Anger. This situation, this event is unjust, is not fair. That's the conversation that we have when we are angry. Fear, which is one that everyone seems to want to avoid, but it's really helpful. This is at risk. There's danger. I don't know if you know this, but people that have been working in the domain of emotion say, think that fear is perhaps the first emotion that we've developed as human beings because we wanted to survive. So fear is one of the most primal emotions. When we see a kid walking towards the ladder that has no way to hold in a safe way, we jump up our seats, our chairs, and we grab that child and say, Take a look. This is dangerous. Be careful. Do not climb this ladder anymore. You don't wait until the child is up there, you know, eight feet up the ladder. We move like a cat, right? Why? Well, because that's a primal part of us that fear is sending a message very clear. Danger, danger, danger. If you don't listen to that message, that person becomes extremely dangerous. I'm not, you know, what I'm most afraid of is people there that doesn't get afraid because they're capable of the most bizarre and dangerous things. Danger gives you a sense of taking care of your life and someone else's life, right? Basically, that's that. Hmm. Does that answer the, 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 yeah. And is there a sense of, um, I can imagine that as you're listening and capturing and learning, you're, there, there can be like a re-cohering of somebody, you know, like they might be sat there and they're like, yeah, there's something here and I'm not quite sure. I'm feeling, you know, um, I'm stuck around this topic, you know, and, 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 and by learning, by listening, you know, emotionally and, and capturing what's taking place and then learning they they kind of recohere and, and a sense of possibility opens up, you know. So it's yeah. like, oh, now I understand. Okay, and actually, um, like it, it might be that's enough, or it, it might be, and I feel complete. 
certainly so maybe there's something like with, with like feeling an emotion through to completion or it maybe opens up uh, a sort of um, new sense of action that might want to arise like oh so I actually I want to have a conversation with that person that's yeah. what I need to do now I'm just curious and then just like weave in also to answer like the importance of like feeling the emotion in the body too like, yes yeah. it's beautiful what you've mentioned I think it summarizes the process is not only listening and capturing and learning it, is staying there for a little and then understanding well, what do I do with this, right? In the example of the key holder, right? Or the key chain that my grandpa gave me and I lost it, my coach may say, wow, well then how do we resolve this issue given that your grandpa is gone, right? He passed and wow, maybe acknowledge that love for your grandfather, right? Maybe go give send flowers or write a letter, we'll develop some type of exercise to complete that and close, give closure to our client. We try not to leave them open. Emotions are, I think they have a, it's a cycle. We have to then go back to neutrality. And there are bodily exercises that help you achieve that neutral like a car, like the end of a car, right? Okay, I'm a neutral now. I'm not in first gear. Nice. I can go back to my baseline. And that's something that I can teach them. And it's fantastic. Now, when I, when I hear the, the word body, for me, equals to filter. That's how I interpret that word. It's really helpful because I'm a coffee drinker, right? And so everything that you drink from the coffee has to go through some sort of filter. What, does, what that does is that it takes away some acidity, right, of the coffee. Depending on the type of filter that you use, you're going to give that coffee the opportunity to show you different notes and touches and, and scents and tastes. And it's fantastic. What a filter can do to you, it changes the reality of that experience. And that's exactly what our bodies do, right? If I just say anger, like a word, and I see it written, I don't feel anything. I just see the word. But if someone kicks me in the shin out of the blue, man, I immediately, I think I'm going to get angry, right? I'm going to say, what's going on with you? And my body is going to become tense immediately I'm going to embody, it's a pun, right? With my body, I am going to embody that, conveying that anger. But if the person says, dude, you had a huge tarantula on your, sh or on your shin and I kick it, I just actually saved you, it was going to sting you. I'm going to be like grateful immediately. I'm going to be like, thank you so much. So I can jump from anger to gratitude in a split of a second, once the linguistic understanding is there. But if he says, yes, I kick you in what? Wow. I may square up or say, mm. this is going to get crazy. I don't hit people. I'm angry, but that was wrong, right? So see how our bodies are going to adjust and match constantly. The interesting thing is that we can't we can't pretend, we can actually, we can pretend that it doesn't show. But in truth, every single emotion that we experience, we show it to the world. Even if it's on audio only, even if it's on an email, sometimes we feel, wow, what's going on here? That email was a little rude. Yes, it was because that was the intention. And we use certain words to be rude, right? Or for instance, we can feel love in a conversation, very loving person, and we can see that in their face and their hands, right? I have many Italian friends, and man, when they speak, I see passion, right? It's impossible not to see it mm. versus if I have my German friends or Germanic friends, I see a different tone, not good, not bad, not better, not worse. It's just a different emotion. But constantly our body is going to show us right that emotion that we are experiencing so as coaches 
taking this back to coaching, our job is to show it. You know, Gonzalo, I do see passion. Every time you say this, you're moving your hands or you are smiling big time. Is that what I see? Passion? Yes, as a matter of fact. It will be extremely weird if I say, no, I'm extremely angry. Ooh, that's a psychotic, right? That's a different thing. That's really strange. But it happens. No, I, mm. we do see leaders in organizations that are frowning, right? Their, their face is scrunched, right? Their eyes are pointing like an arrow. And you ask them, how are you doing? I'm very well, very happy to be here. And you're like, no, you're not. I can <laughs> see it. Yeah. You're saying something, yet your emotional world and your body, the filter, is letting us know something different. And that's the opportunity. We get to work with them and saying, well, maybe next time you go into a meeting, take a look at yourself in the mirror mm -hmm. so you can see truly the image you're projecting. Well, I like that. I like the filter metaphor because it works for me both in terms of how we can see a kind of congruence in our coaches, yeah you know mm. like that they're, they're kind of transmitting their inner state to us and that um we can see how congruent they are to you know that how, how much kind of alignment is there with their words and their energy and their facial expressions you know because you can you can also feel it when somebody feels really congruent can't you and really aligned it's like so um i like that uh, kind of thing with the filter and then I also like it because it's like, I, my sense is the body is a great, you know, and actually it's funny because we talk about our bodies as if I have a body, but like we are our bodies, you know, like exactly. we, we perpetuate that Cartesian split, you know, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like, the, my sense is that it's really important that we, we develop our capacity to, 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 to sense as our body, you know, from the inside yes. out, because that begins to filter built up tension and patterning mm. that has accumulated and can kind of um you know leave us feeling in a in a in a metabolize all of that and emotionality so that we become come back to a more centered congruent place so that's what comes up with that, that i word. i like that i think that is the work of a lifetime to be 100% honest to be able to develop a a true sense of like a radar that can tell you this is this is where I am right now in that dynamic or conversation or something even more simple. I ride motorcycles and you know I love it. That's something that's my passion, a passion of mine. But lately I found that all of a sudden I was having this big, you know, tension headaches. And I was like, what's going on? What's happening? Nothing changed. According to me, I'm doing air quotes for all of you listening. According to me, nothing changed. All of a sudden, Joel, I did what you just said. Well, why don't I develop a true sense of congruency, feeling what I'm going through as I ride my motorcycle? And I discovered that lately I was riding with a lot of tension in my jaws, my neck my shoulders so at the end of the ride coming back amazing ride on highway one overlooking at the ocean i was extremely tense so it was causing the opposite of what i was looking forward to experience i wasn't seeing it and this is what i teach mm. this is exactly what i teach and i wasn't doing it and it was very humbling recognizing that we often lose the ability to observe ourselves. And I love to close this conversation, if I may, saying that the dynamic congruency that I try to create with this topic that we just talked is the following, that what I think, what I say, what I feel, and how I embody that is congruent with what I'm presenting to the world. This to me, and I'll repeat it in a second, is what makes a coaching session a great coaching session. You're, you go from, that was a good session, from, holy shit, this was an amazing session. When, I make, when am I going to see you again? So that what I think, what I, say, what I say, 
what I feel, and how I embody all those things are congruent. When we do that, that's what I call emotional literacy at the core of coaching. Mm. Yeah, really, really beautiful, powerful statement. And and I, I, our whole conversation has been about how do you find that congruency? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it feels like, yeah, we could open the door there to a whole other conversation. And I just I just want to tee up, you know, I know um, um, our previous conversation, we touched into this quite a yes. lot, actually, and I want to name it now. And so the listeners can be um, and get you just to say like a couple of sentences about this, how it still sits for you. I'm very curious because last time we spoke, one of the things you said to me was like, yeah, you know, like I'm sometimes questioning about this word coach, you know, of course I do coaching and, uh, you know, um, it does fit in a big way, but also, you know, um, recently I've been starting to open the work I do and, and kind of receive guidance, you know, uh, in the coaching sessions. And, um, yes. you know, like I question was well, that coaching and I'm just curious, you know, we, we only have a couple of minutes, so, you know, we have to do maybe do a part two on this again, <laughs> because I actually think just to say one last thing, that indigenous worldview that you're talking about, you know, an animist worldview where, you know, instead of seeing everything as dead around us, actually, you know, inert matter, you know, it's all just physical objects. No, there's an aliveness in, inside of things. There's, yes. there's there's entities all around us, you know, it's just we yeah. have a, a very kind of particular idea of what an entity is in the West, I think. So I'm just curious, like, where do you, where are you at with all that stuff these days? Yes, I, I thank you. I'm very grateful for opening the door to this type of conversation. I seldom do it. And I would love to continue this if there's an opportunity. I think it might be valuable for some people. In in terms of coaching, I've I found that the industry it it was, I think, saturated for a bit. And I've been in this industry for a minute. So I've seen the waves, big hordes of coaches coming and going. And at the end, I think it was a little corrupted or prostituted. And so when you walked into an organization and say, hi, I'm a coach, they were like, oh, thank you. Another one of you coming. I don't think we need you anymore, right? Because previous experiences weren't as pleasing as they were expecting. And I think I was part of that, given that, like I said in the beginning, geographically speaking, where I'm situated, all the novelties and all the new gimmicks and gadgets are here, right? This is where they, seems like this is where everything's sprouting. And so in that moment, I decided to call myself a conversational strategist. (laughs) And it has been fantastic, Joel. Fantastic, because I still coach people. However, I don't say anymore that I'm coaching people unless I do, right? So I walk into an organization and I offer a product that is very well needed, which is strategic conversations that makes us be better leaders or humans or whatever is that we're wanting to aim. Although I am a certified coach, in many domains, and I am, you know, a valid, I follow ethical guidelines. But I started discovering what you mentioned a few years ago. I'm going to call it intuition, and maybe in part two, we name it in a different way. But I started hearing my intuition and knowing exactly where to go with this client. And in the beginning, I was very resistant to that thinking, I think I'm going crazy. I don't think this is okay. I don't want to deserve my clients. But in truth, when I started listening and following those intuitions, those voices, those messages, what I've discovered is that my coaching practice was achieving at net breaking speed in comparison to before. And ever since that, happened i've been doing it i've been doing that with my clients and so i don't hold the back when i have a sense that this is where we need to go and i don't question myself and take that as it is i i hear 
the best way I can describe it is when someone is really far away and say, hey, Joel, maybe it's black, not white. Very, very far. And you hear that voice, you almost can't listen to it, but it's there. I'm sure it happened to you. I don't know, you're at a train station and someone says, hey, Joel. You're like, wait a second, was that me or someone yelling at me? And yeah, you look around and there was your friend, right? Saying, hi, that's how I can best explain what I'm going through. I hear the message and I'm like, okay, let's share this. Let's ask this question. Is this about you and your mom's relationship? And they're like, how in the world do you know that? Right? And it's not magic. It's not magic. We can talk about it later at another time, either off or at another episode. But that's what I've, I've been experiencing. Again, I would close this comment by saying, I feel very humbled. I don't think I'm unique. I think we all have the capacity, the ability, if we are willing to listen to our intuition, I think that could become um, not the way in which we coach, but one of the many tools that we could use to serve our clients. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I, I do think we could talk about that more. And 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 sorry, I was kind of using that word entities, but intuition, I think is, yeah, it's just a really, uh, yeah, really beautiful to hear you talk about <laughs> that. And so, yeah, you know, we're, we're at time and I just curious, I just want to say I, I really uh, enjoyed myself in this conversation. And so I just want to thank you for, you know, showing up in the way you have and sharing so generously and enthusiastically about mm -hmm emotionality and emotions and the way you work with clients. And so, um, mm -hmm. yeah, thank you, Gonzalo. And um, where can we find out more about your work? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, also thank you for the invitation. I feel very, very uh, happy, enthusiastic about this conversation, as you can hear and see. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate it to you and your audience. They can find me. Uh, my website is gonzalocordova.com, just like my name. And in almost any other social media platform, I am at Gonzalo Cordova. And I also have a podcast that right now I just released. And I used to have another one, but I closed that version. And so now it's called Being Lab. I'm going to have a few episodes in Spanish and other in English. So look forward to it. Honestly, I love to have you, by the way. We'll do it in English for sure. But if you speak Spanish, we can do it in Spanish. <laughs> you definitely have to do it in English. <laughs> but in any case, that's an invitation also for you to have conversations. I love to be on the other side of, of the microphone that at that time. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, great. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com. Put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Mm -hmm.